0: Hello everyone, I'm your basic podcast host. Welcome back into the closet of the centrist Shickers podcast. How's everyone doing? It's wild, wild world out there. I know I'm back very soon. I guess uh, a lot of that is, I felt like I threw a snowball and it sort of created an avalanche in my mind. Like I said, this isn't going to become a history podcast, but I am going to just try to build on some of the ideas i started in the last podcast um i claimed via the title that we are in an age of revolution or that the revolution marches on that we are still in this sort of struggle against an entrenched power base that that whittles away i think that the entrenched power base whittles away what was built out of the enlightenment which is you know this idea of individual freedom of skepticism of the liberty to have that skepticism to speak freely You know, using that skepticism to challenge the power base, to challenge the things that we know, even just when it comes to science and stuff like that—all of those are good things. Um, Ultimately, I feel like, as much as I've sort of come to the conclusion, um, you know, not that I can't be shaken from this conclusion—that that the some objective objective truth is just beyond our human understanding. We as individuals are incapable of knowing enough about something or seeing it from all angles to know what objectively is true. There's too much bias. There's too much, you know, holes in our knowledge. I mean, you can objectively say that I I threw the ball in the air 10 feet and you can probably measure it and look at it and understand that. And like those very simple things in, in a very tight and confined context, you can know is true. But ultimately that that if someone is telling you they threw the ball and they'd have provided no, I am going to go off on a tangent already about objective truth. That's a whole podcast in and of itself. I I doubt the idea. I know that objective truth is out there. I just don't know if we're capable of fully understanding it. That might be an idea I've I've uh, put on display here on the podcast before. But I think that ties into the Enlightenment that it's a constant journey, a churning, a searching. Um, of that skepticism to find out what's true for you and how much you can just trust what's out there because ultimately some of it just comes down to faith like what do I believe is true I can't possibly know at all so I'm just going to put that faith and that trust out there this is why there's plenty of religious people who are skeptics of science clearly there's plenty of atheists and secular people who are skeptics of religion none of it is true um <laughs> none of I should say it's not going to be true to either side you're not going to convince them the idea that you have the liberty and the power and the ability to go and and search these things and figure them out on your own is going to con- create converts on both sides and that to me is why whatever's objectively true is just kind of going to be beyond us i mean we we change so much throughout life the way we view things the way we feel about things all of it changes So if you want to go, well, I know the objective truth, that's fine. But I find that wildly hubristic. And I don't think you're being skeptical enough about your own knowledge. So anyways, that is a wild tangent right there just to get started. But I feel like those things are being just that just that journey that I'm that I'm describing there is being someone the foot of the power base and frankly, the foot of your fellow human beings are standing on the throat of that endeavor. Um, And I really feel like as much as I want to be positive and believe that the revolution is marching on, um, as horrible as that might sound to some people, because I know revolution comes with strife and bloodshed and everything else. I'm not, I don't think that's always necessary, but it certainly has been the case throughout history. And mostly that's the case because when power gets challenged, they tend to try to hold on to that power as much as they possibly can and are likely going to start violence. And people who are in a bad way to the point where they got nothing left to lose uh, are willing to lash out and do violence themselves to attack that power base when words and knowledge and truth aren't enough. So um, that might sound like an allusion to what's going on currently in our world, but it's not. It's really just um, it's really just an analysis, I think, of revolutionary politics, uh, power versus equality, so on and so forth. So, like I said, I contended that the revolution is marching on. But I want to, in this episode, really think about: Well, is it dead on the side of the road? Like, are we back to being medieval peasants in a weird modern sort of way? Um, let yeah, maybe. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, just gonna jump in and explore some of that. I guess is the revolution age over, or is it just on pause? Um, is it a cycle? Is it a vicious cycle that we're just living in, and we're we're a part of it in some form of that cycle? Uh, so let's let's go down that road. Uh, I brought up the Enlightenment, and that's for a very specific reason. I really feel like our modern age of revolution is what was brought on by the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment, it's the idea of modernization, liberty, uh, the the individual is generally paramount as far as individual freedoms and um, and self discovery and. And once again, being skeptic and being able to challenge power bases and free speeches and things free speech like that, I and mean, all these ideas are come out of the enlightenment, and you know you can say it's that's you know I'm not going to try to claim it's a Western thing. I think these ideas are human ideas that have probably been explored and discussed and written about all over the planet at some point form or another um It's just that in 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 the colonial era which we're coming out of these ideas were promulgated mainly through specific thinkers out of Europe. But I know, once again, that's not to deny all the the human wisdom that has been explored probably before these men, after these men, written about in Sanskrit or whatever, going way back to the modern humans. I mean, I'm sure there's, philosophy is not some new thing that cropped up out of nowhere. It's, hu- human beings have always been thinking about their existence. I think philosophy is the root where a lot of religion and myths and all that stuff came from because it's people exploring what it means to be alive, what it means to be this thing in this body, this human being. What does it mean in this world, in this wild context with carnivores, with plague, with disasters? What does it mean to be alive? And why do we have to die? And all these th- big questions. So the idea that some of these ideas weren't stumbled upon or thought about in prehistory even is ridiculous. I think there was plenty of very intelligent people way back when who were probably just walking around wearing furs on their body and carrying a spear or a rudimentary bow and arrow who thought about this shit. And so anyways, just to get that out there, it's like, uh, but like I said, coming out of the era of colonialism, the idea that you have global empires like the British empire and, you know, half global empires, like, um, anyways, any, your colonial power, power out of Europe, France, uh, Spain, they all took their turns. It seemed like (laughs) having the largest empire. Uh, the fact that these ideas could get around about individual freedom and shaking off the yoke of an oppressive power base is kind of remarkable in and of itself. Just the fact that it got around the fact that it could these ideas literally you could spawn revolution out of ideas, um, you know, and those ideas are obviously always going to be connected to material s- suffering and strife. I mean, it's hard to get people out on the street based simply on an idea because you can disagree about the idea, which is part of the Enlightenment as well. So I I feel like maybe this age of revolution, is it getting stoked up through stuff like George Floyd protests? Is it getting stoked up by people being out on the streets? I mean, the most political strife and revolutionary uh, acts that I've seen were like the Million Women March or whatever with pussy hats. But that's based on Trump being elected. And... And, you know, the other things, you know, everything got co-opted into that massive march, but that was a gargantuan protest. The BLM ri- or riots, I even said it, BLM, well, there were riots, let's not kid ourselves. The BLM protests after Joyce Floyd and the riots that ensued as well, I mean, those are revolutionary acts. I mean, those are things that I had never seen in my life outside of, here I am in the Seattle area, I remember the 1999 WTO riots uh, and protests. I always say riots just because I feel like sometimes protests just devolve into that anyways. When you get a group of humans together, it's it's not to denigrate the act. I I, I applaud everyone for getting out and going to a protest. If it devolves into a riot, it's not necessarily your fault unless you're the one throwing bricks. But it's like, what is what does some mom and pop store have to do with your protest? I think that's a waste of energy and anger, unfortunately. And I think it just happens a lot because people live in a very emotionally stunted uh, air, age, I think. that I. Anyways, that's another tangent I'm not going to try to avoid. Anyways, those are the most revolutionary acts that I can remember in my lifetime. And those are spread out over 20-something years. So that's a hard timeline to get anything actually moving to incite change. Like, truly. You can't have major protests every five, six years and think that people are going to do something about it. You know, people in leadership or the power base is going to respond to that. Because... Generally, that response is going to be swift and violent and incarceral, more than likely. They're going to incarcerate people, lock them up, silence the protesters, silence their free speech. These are the avenues of power and control that they have, and they're going to use them, period. So, once again, I'm trying to... So... (laughs) Those those are the avenues they're going to take. Sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Uh, But... So I'm claiming that the ideas of the Enlightenment have been whittled away. Um, the evidence I'm going to point to here is that the idea of skepticism, which I said was a idea out of the Enlightenment, which is... You know, uh, I think today the modern-day skeptic is generally looked at as a conspiracy theorist. If you're skeptical of Pfizer and, and Two Shots... Uh, you're, you know, you're promoting false information or disinformation and you are, you're an idiot. You don't understand the science, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, you can also be skeptical about other things, you know, skeptical about anything, whether George, go back to this fricking horror show, whether George Floyd died from the knee on the neck or a drug overdose. I think it's okay to be skeptical about those things, but then again, (laughs) <laughs> all of it, frankly, whether he died from either, maybe he died from something else entirely. We don't even know about, know about like, granted, I know I'm stepping on a landmine here with that, but the open idea of skepticism is now, it's just, or the uh, how about January 6th? Uh, conservatives are skeptical that the FBI wasn't involved totally, that Trump was completely absolved of all those, of of the idea of inciting a riot. Everyone else is skeptical that, They went there on purpose, that they were going to blow people up, that they were going to murder Nancy Pelosi. Um, So, I mean, you get your skeptics on all sides, but that's the thing is you become a conspiracy theorist or you just get siloed onto a side. Everything's black and white. There's no in the middle. And I think in the middle is where, you you know, God forbid, I think that as a centrist, that in the middle is where skeptics are supposed to be. They're supposed to be looking at all the evidence, not looking at it from a certain direction. You're supposed to divest yourself of your bias to be truly skeptical about something. Otherwise... If you're skeptical from a side with a bias, you are simply attacking the other side. That's really what that is. I'm skeptical of your claims because I think you're an idiot because I think you're biased, not accepting your own bias. So which is, you know, a very difficult thing to do. But in the age of the internet and 24-hour controversy, it seems fairly obvious that that's the direction the skeptic skepticism is taking you 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 just get painted into a corner if you're skeptical about my stances you can't be skeptical about the way think what i believe you're just one of those people a lot of dehumanizing language a lot of um and maybe not dehumanized. maybe that's well dehumanizing yes but even more insidious in a in a weird way is the 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 way disconnects people that kind of language you're always on that side we have nothing in common i mean this kind of language and this level of thinking is like is dividing families where blood's supposed to be thicker than water um so yeah and and i just feel like if someone's being skeptical about something that you think you should always listen as much as possible instead of talking like don't immediately get angry and like try to cast them out it's like, why are they truly skeptical? Are they skeptical from a side? Are they being honestly skeptical? Are they are they stepping forward in a good faith way and talking to me about something that that I feel strongly about, but maybe I, there's room for me to be more skeptical about what I believe. I mean, this is the back and forth and around and around. This is what should get people excited. But unfortunately, it seems like what gets people excited is the pure anger. Like they want to touch that nuclear rod and just like, and somehow master its master its energy. And I feel like that's, that's what's getting people animated. It's not the the search for that elusive objective truth I mentioned earlier. It's the I have the truth. Why are you so stupid and can't see it? You're you're one of them. You're you're an idiot. Anyways, so that's the, my rant about the skeptical part. But it's also about individual. So individuality, another enlightenment idea that is totally toxified now. You can't even talk about individual rights, individual freedoms, unless you're a certain. Well, yeah, really, unless you're really. They're going to call you, they're going to tell you you're denying group oppression in the modern context. I mean, because to talk about individual rights is to deny that you have anything to do with the, the well-being of the people around you. Which is like, well, what real power does anyone have? Like, to talk about individual freedom is to deny your privilege and all this other stuff. And I just feel like, <laughs> no, as far as we know... We are individuals. Now, I don't know, you know, we could go all over the map on this. I, so, <laughs> so the left generally attacks in, so <laughs> the left generally attacks the idea of an individual as no one's an individual. You're all born, you're crafted, you're shaped by your parents, your family, society, culture at large, that any individual autonomy that you have is always affected by the outside world and your group dynamics. Like if you never traveled to another country, traveled across the train tracks or whatever, even to another county, then how individualistic are you? Are you not just a cog within this, 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 the, a fish in your own water, essentially never understanding what water is or that other people live in different waters. Like just that level of ignorance and closed offness, if that's a word which it's not, I'm sure, that you would possess as an individual, quote unquote, like how individualistic are you without being a well-rounded individual, like a full human, like out, like exploring a lot, like otherwise you're just sort of an automaton within a very strict and confined structure. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but that programming, the programming of you as an individual has a lot to do with your surroundings. And if you're not broadening those surroundings, if you're not challenging those surroundings, if you're not informing yourself entirely how individualistic can you truly be and so this idea of the in the enlightenment is that you're going to go out and you're going to educate yourself you're going to have the freedom to explore you're going to have the freedom to you know challenge you're going to have the freedom to debate and discuss and like and through that challenging that that pounding you become a different kind a shape of steel like you're going to change and that to me is a more rounded individual. Now that doesn't deny that if you grew up in a small town and you are that automaton-like person who is shaped in a very strict and confined uh, village. Let's say you never leave your nomadic village in the Middle East. What kind of individual are you truly? You still have. Here's the here's the the clincher. You still have value as a human being. You still have that. Individual choice and power to break out of that or to stay in that and be that person, but that doesn't devalue who you are as an individual. So it's it works both ways. I'm just I'm just trying to de- define the individuality. I like I said, I think the left attacks people for claiming that, oh, you're individual, blah blah blah, and, and trying to undermine the idea of individuality because the left is obsessed with group dynamics and, and communal things, which is not a bad thing. It's just that you, the idea as a centrist here is that we should be able to do both, see both at the same time. It's not an impossible concept. We have a left and a right hand for a reason that you can just hold on to the truth as much as you can grab it with both hands. So the communal aspect is key in forming an individual, but it doesn't erase the individual, nor does an individual get to escape entirely their group dynamics because even if you escape that nomadic tribe or run out of your you know backwoods mountain clan, even if you escape those things, you become part of a larger identity. Maybe you move to the city. Maybe you move to uh, you know a commune in the woods. Maybe you move to whatever, you know, but you start seeing the larger world that just expands the community you're part of. And so ultimately an age of information in the age of the internet, in the age of space travel and international flight, that individual, closer than ever, are we now a global community. Now, granted, I am not. I still am in an idea that city-states, nation-states have their role, have their purpose, because that helps and fosters communal freedom and individual freedoms within those communities, but whatever. Still, it's easier than ever now to see yourself as a citizen of the planet, that we are earthlings on this planet. And that's what the most important identity you can have. And so the compassion and care you should have for all individuals on this planet is, is, is should be as high as it can ever get. I, once again, I think that is a enlightenment idea. I think that is a centrist idea. I think that is a, um, an idea that's frankly getting throttled a little bit. I, I, people want to pull it down. I mean, clearly there's always your ethno nuts who want to make everything about skin color. I don't know how that's still a thing, but it is. You know how much I hate race. I've said it on this podcast many times. Anyways, those people are going to exist. The uh, purely nationalistic people are going to exist. That Americans are the only ones that matter, even though America is always a tough thing to define because it was meant to be that way. Frankly, uh, as much as we fucked that up and and struggled with that idea, that is what America is. We are the globe within these borders. We're supposed to. We're meant to. Anyway, I think we're meant to foster the idea I'm, t- I'm talking about now. We are global citizens. This is a place for everyone on the planet to come if they want to live free and live by these principles, blah, 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 blah. But that's my nationalistic tendency right there. Um, if someone wanted to deny that and create a country that's not like that, then that's they're right, and I'm not going to fight them for it. But anyways, the idea was that, that uh, our communal base, our community, should be the entire planet at this point because we should be... Educating yourself enough to know that that is all that matters. There's there's no imaginary lines or imaginary skin tones that are supposed to cut through the idea that we're not all humans on a fucking rock flying through space, and that's what's important. Anyways, so um, I don't are we more confused about individuality or less? I don't know, but you can tell that I think it's important, and I feel like it's getting uh, put on the back burner because because people, they don't want you to have that agency and they don't want you to question. That's the thing. Individuals question. Individuality ties into that skepticism. Well, am I allowed to question my community or my nomadic tribe? No, you're not. Shut the fuck up and, you know, ride your horse or go back to the steel mill. You fucking, what are you smarter than everybody here? What do you think? You know, something we do. not I mean, so anyways, so that's individual being skeptical, but then um, and it's denying group oppression, but it's like, can I just leave that group? Like, if I you go, oh, white people oppress black people, I'm not going to deny that's true, but I'm not white, so and you don't need to be black, and that's not a thing anymore. Blah blah blah. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to piss people off with that one, but I'm just like, it's, it, the individual has the freedom to leave those groups, right? To just be, well, I'm not anyway. Ugh, I'm not anybody want to go down that fucking road. I mean, feel free to tell me I'm sticking my foot in my mouth, because I probably am. But you know what? I don't give a shit. Uh, okay, and so equality. I believe equality is an enlightenment idea. I feel like it's the the, the, individ- the value of the individual makes them equal. Uh, a king is no less, no more valuable on their individual level as a human being than the peasant. They're the same. They're still humans. Now, granted, you go, well, the peasant, you know... The king is making decisions or whatever that affect an entire land. And so he's clearly more important than than a peasant. You can have a hundred peasants die and the land will continue and, and people can still flourish even without that one peasant that died. That's a... Honestly, I feel like that's a conservative argument. Now, conservatives might argue with me about that. But I feel like... I really feel like conservatives tend to be much more subservient to power bases, if they agree with the power base. So that's that's the hint, the, the hinge there. Conservatives can be as revolutionary as anyone out there, in fact, more so because the, of their want for individual rights and their individual autonomy. However, if they agree with, say, Trump in this instance, unfortunately, because there's this radical devotion to him, if they agreed with him taking parts of their land for something that, you know, whatever they, I think they would defer to that. I think if Barack Obama were to roll into your land and go, we need this for this project, they grab guns like that, that happened down in Oregon, not so long ago. And they create a big fucking ruckus. If Trump were a conservative, maybe they would have a problem with it, but maybe it wouldn't be as, as violent and as confrontational as it was. Uh, that's just an assumption, as you can clearly tell. I'm just grasping at straws here. But are you, you can't tell me that it's not mostly conservatives or people who have left ideas that can easily be turned into conservatives when, when it's Stalin who's in control or something, that they will get behind the flag. They will go with blood and soil. They will They will be subservient to the king if the king is rallying them in a religious way and things like that. I mean, I, I just feel like they, as much as they tout their individuality and their autonomy and things like that, conservatives will 100% strap up and put on the uniform and go, go to war for a thing they believe in. And so, I mean, maybe that's true with everyone. I mean, I suppose, I mean, if someone were telling me that all individual rights and freedoms were going to be, you know, subsumed and dominated by some alien force, <laughs> then yeah, I would probably embrace some conservative roots there and and go fight that struggle. But what am I getting at here? What was I getting? I I started with this with equality, but and then I oh, uh there yeah, the equal the equality of individual uh human beings, I guess. But I guess the conservatives would value I think like if Elon Musk were to die, I think conservatives would be m- much more upset. I mean, but when people I'm going random here, uh, strike all that. I mean, <laughs> strike that from the record because I'm not good at editing. I just, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like there's a lot more conservative love for people who are captains of industry or people like Donald Trump. Now, granted, you can't tell me that Barack Obama didn't have his fan club and people weren't fawning for him, but I think that's more of a conservative impulse to just, to kneel. I, I Maybe that's maybe that's wrong. I mean, leftists kneel all the time too. I guess maybe maybe that's just a human tendency. Do we need do we need that leadership? Do we need a Christ-like figure? Do we need someone who's above us, showing us the way all the time? I don't know. That's I struggle with that, and I don't know what that is about humanity where we feel like. I mean, I in a sense I get it. We elect leaders. We we can't all do it ourselves all the time. We'd be. Herding cats, we'd be. Yeah, I... that's an interesting human condition, and I, f- I feel like it's demonstrated on both sides that we defer to leadership in a very, in and much more than just like deferring. It's we praise them, um, and I think that's dangerous because one, you 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 tilt the equality aspect. Like, are they truly equal if you're praising them? Have they earned that praise truly, or are they just in a position that you praise? I mean, certainly, there's been plenty of horrible leaders who had. Well, I'm sorry, all my conservative friends, but Trump's an example of one. Horrible leaders that have, in, just wild followings, voracious followings, people who will do anything for them, like, so cult leaders. I mean, how many different? There's so many uh, examples, currently and throughout history, where. This weird leadership thing, this this magic that people have over large groups, um, is astounding and, and tilts equality. That's why I feel like that, once again, we're getting back to the skepticism and individuality. There's plenty of religious cults where if you start being skeptical, they just kick you out. You can't talk to your family. You can't, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are come to mind here, but there's plenty of others. Um, Where you're just not part of us anymore and you're out of the group. Now you can go be an individual out there. Good luck. Uh, Because you were skeptical of generally leadership. I mean, that's the quickest way to get exercise from a group is questioning the overall direction and goals and beliefs. Uh, That's a quick way to see yourself out. But once again, you usually will walk out into the world and that same thing is happening just in different contexts, whether it be politics, a different religion. Um, I mean, we'll just leave those where it's at. Or business. Like I said, business is a thing too. I honestly feel like there's people who are just bow down and, and revere captains of industry much more than they should. Like granted, maybe they made some good decisions and they clearly made a lot of money, but is that always good? Or what kind of, is that truly praiseworthy necessarily? It's laudable in a way like, Oh, good for you for playing the game. But anyways, I, once again, it does that skew an individual's view of equality. Yeah, I would... How would it not? How is Elon Musk more equal than me? How is President Trump more equal than me? I think people would immediately skew that for some people. and Or based on how's Barack Obama more equal than me? How is Ibram X. Kendi more equal than me? How is um, uh, any actress, Jennifer Aniston, more equal than me? I just feel like... Anyways... <laughs> I, the, the the actual idea of equality in that context is hard to hold on to because celebrity, people in power, leaders, uh, just keeping that grasp on you are not more important. You're not better. You're not more equal. We're just once again human beings on this planet together. You are in a position. A tenuous position. People in power should always be in a tenuous position. But just the acknowledgement of that all the time is something that should happen. This deference to people in leadership. Now, I know they're in a tough spot, and I don't envy those them that spot. But when you're attempting to be a leader or you've been chosen as a leader, yeah, it's, it's a tough gig. It should not be something you do for 40 years into your 80s when nothing is fucking improved under your leadership. Why, America, do we keep electing these losers? Anyways, um, but there's also the equality of, not of the individual, but of groups, but of the mass in general, which is tough, because when you, in the modern age, uh, why this idea of equality gets you in trouble, I I would like to think I just highlighted part of that there, but the other equality aspect is groups, and then if you deny the equality, or you bring up, more importantly, you bring up the level of inequality in material possessions and amongst groups, you are then labeled a leftist or a socialist. Um, and, you know, obviously that is a quick way to see yourself out of the economy or pol- political power. Uh, socialists really have no political power in, in America, just to throw that out there. Which is, you know, you might cheer that or you might lament that. It's That's totally up to you. I'm just saying that's observable. That they have an outsized voice sometimes, but certainly not outsized power in any sense of the imagination. Um, no. So, but but if you talk about these things, talk about uh, an inequality amongst the masses, uh, the fact that it's very difficult to live, especially in America, that things are just too damn expensive. You don't have the health care. It's hard to have housing. Uh, those are things that will get you labeled a leftist or a socialist and you know that that puts you on the outside most people those words like socialist is equal to marxism and marxism equals equal to communism and all those things and people have not deprogrammed themselves the fear of those things immediately that's like you're a terrorist or you want to kill millions of people like those those two things are not are, you know the same thing you're not, you're not because you're a marxist or a socialist doesn't mean you want to kill people nor does It goes the same way, too. If you're pro-capitalism, doesn't mean you are in favor of fully oppressing people and just making people cogs and putting them into factories or wherever else and get them to be productive. And if you're not productive, you're fired and get out of here and go be an individual and figure it out on your own. I mean, that's not entirely what uh, pro-capitalist people think. Certainly not at the level where we're at, where I'm talking to him from a closet, or you're listening to me on the job, or from behind a desk, or in a tractor, or wherever you might be listening to me. We are not people who think that way. Maybe a CEO who's willing to fire a thousand people to make sure they meet their bottom line, maybe they think that way. And unfortunately, you go, Well, they're put in a position where they have to think that way. They're that king who can kill the hundred peasants. Anyway, so you're. You can see the crossovers here these are the these are the modern day issues that oppress that either show us the, the the thesis of this podcast that we are in the age of revolution where those things need to be challenged or you're seeing why they're successfully suppressing our revolution through these things now because our modern day politics are so messy and disgusting uh, to talk about freedom is to deny your own privilege and ignore what you need to do to promote equality so the idea of liberty, like how free are you truly? Like, are you really free? And part of this, I, I, it's certainly not medieval peasantry. Um, I think the middle age peasant life, I mean, you were totally subservient to your liege lord. Your life depended on them. They could murder you and have no recourse to them whatsoever. Um, most of the time. Now, granted, if, If you're a knight and you're killing your peasants, maybe the person above you, the baron or the king or something like that is going to go, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Now I'm going to strip you of your titles. Maybe execute you. I mean, so there is, but how far away is that level of justice? Like today you expect justice. We just expect it or you don't, but I think it's out there. I think it's justice today is much closer than it would be to have to go appeal to a Lord somewhere to get something done. Um, and maybe that's, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's, is that bad in some places? Certainly, I don't expect that to be the case in America. And like I said, that's just an expectation. Those expectations can be undermined. You could show me that, yes, look at, I mean, I know justice isn't perfect. I mean, justice is also on a timetable. Justice is this and that. But I feel like we're closer to that level of justice than a middle-aged peasant was. Um What they had to do was essentially wake up and, granted, they might not work as hard as we do. They didn't have an industrialized way of life on a timetable. They would wake up, maybe at the crack of dawn, but so what? They could probably take a nap during the day. They probably weren't working as hard as us. Now, granted, they were working hard, but as long as they were turning out the bushels or sewing this or that or, or, or creating something you know, the peasants didn't have as much freedom as say, like a craftsman who could maybe travel for work and get paid a lot more, but you, you were, you're were generally fed, uh, during good times. And, and that was it. You were just dependent on your liege Lord. Now I feel like in today's context, like a middle aged or middle-aged, um, a, like a fast food worker or a low wage worker, are they that much different than a middle-aged peasant? Like how much freedom do you truly have to be, to move? Like, If, and if you're going to move, it's like a lateral move, right? You're going to go from like a restaurant to a restaurant. You're not going to go from a restaurant to CEO. You're not going to go from a restaurant to, well, you could go from restaurant to business owner if you want to risk opening a small business, which would be very hard. But generally those moves are fairly lateral unless you're trying to, unless you're really making the extra attempt on the side, literally. So you have to work enough to sustain your life. And then at the same time, work more to then pursue uh, a way to better your circumstances. Now, granted a conservative would say they would applaud that they like Hey, you know, that's what you, just what you got to do. If you got to live in a hovel with a roommate, then you just got to do that while you're working to improve yourself. I mean, I, and like I said, that is a laudable effort, but should it be that difficult? Um, or if you just wanted to be a restaurant worker and serve coffee your entire life, is that an option? Can you do that without having to, to, uh, constantly better yourself or, you know, charge, a, Fifty dollars for a cup of coffee. My point being is, once again, human value, equality. That coffee worker is no less important than a CEO. Coffee worker, a barista, <laughs> coffee worker. That server, that that waiter, that waitress, that hostess. And I know I'm known for whatever reason focusing on the restaurant industry, but that includes janitors and and food delivery people and taxi drivers and everybody that if you go to work, that's I'm talking about you. You have the same. Uh, individual freedom, skepticism, enlightenment values, value as anybody else in a, as a CEO, as leaders, blah, blah, blah. I'm beating a dead horse at this point. But I guess the point being is to challenge the idea of liberty. How much freedom do you have? Do you truly have the choice to stay that barista or janitor or taxi driver if you want to survive in today's world? And are the material conditions being so... Uh, restricted, and as it's hard to live, where that liberty is actually suppressed, because I just got to keep doing this, I got to do this to survive, are we getting to that point? Which, okay, back to the thesis, does two things, in the current mode, it sort of suppresses a revolution, because people are so desperate, they can't rise up, they can't fight, however, during the French Revolution, it wasn't just the idea of political power for individuals, These ideas circulating about freedom, about free speech, about being skeptical about uh, leadership. You know, the King Louis kept fucking up and the country was in a bad way, and and we're literally starving in the streets. People are dying of plague. Uh, A bad harvest came in, so now we're hungry. Like, we don't literally have nothing to put in our mouths. And our, you know, people are. That's a reason to get out on the streets and say, hey, something's got to change, feed us, do something. Are we so? Eventually, if it, if this holding pattern we're in now, where people are just desperate, if it collapses into, not only are we desperate, my kids are starving, that's what spawns revolution. So, anyways, I'm trying to <laughs> trying to stick around the thesis here and and while exploring all these ideas, um, but that that freedom should still exist, and it's I feel like it gets the freedom today gets twisted into well, you're just some sort of weird conservative patriot who's just talks about freedom, not knowing what it truly is to the left, trying to convince you, you truly have no freedom, that your boss is more in charge of you, of your life than you are, because if they fire you, you could be totally fucked. Um, uh, so I mean, I, once again, I feel like if you reach out with both hands, you're going to have some of the truth in both. You're going to have the left is not entirely wrong that we're not as free as we like to think we are. Um, that we are, you know, perhaps, as I I said, maybe further from justice as we like to, that we think we are, Uh, you know, that uh, because we are a nation of laws. But at the same time, I think the right is also has a point as you still have that freedom, but you maybe have to work harder for it than you should. Uh, Something the right needs to consider. Um, And also, frankly, making sure that there's justice and within workplaces and in our communities. I don't know. That was a kind of a, a tangent, but what else is new on this show? But after all of that, I mean, uh, the other part of that's truly terrifying is after thinking of all those things and bringing them up, who doesn't want to lock the door, turn on Netflix and maybe load your gun on the side, depending on your predilections about that. But who just, I mean, why, you wonder why so many people turn off politics, turn off the culture, don't care. Because maybe they are just that desperate. Maybe they are in that situation where uh, they I can't leave my job. I I just got to plow forward because I, I got I got just enough going on right now. You know I had a vacation last year or nine months ago, and so that's, life is good enough. I don't need too much more. And so people just hunker down, and then there's just that distraction. There's constant entertainment distractions, dr- just drug distractions, drinking distractions, and these are what people commonly call like deaths of despair and 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 just despair in general like the mental health of especially america it just seems like it's in a in a bad way and i'm not talking about full on mental health where people are screaming at themselves on the sidewalk i'm talking about this i'm talking about drinking a little too much eating a little too much watching way too much tv staring at your phone just wasting time once again not crafting yourself as an individual not learning not getting outside those comfort zones and challenging yourself, and to just because it's truly it is a conservative idea, and I'm, I'll credit them for this. But that individual, and in, well, no, it's once again I should stop crediting sides. It's a, it's a human idea. It's a human idea that the greater individual raises up their community. And this is this is getting to another thing that I, I feel like why we're in this revolutionary pause period is is the left, which seems to be the more revolutionary side currently. Um, they just, they have such awful leadership. Um, our modern day revolutionaries, which in France were generally called the sans culottes, or they were the most militaristic about it. And then they were the ones, like I said, not only militaristic and violent in the streets, but also the ones who are you know, Putting direct physical violence Type pressure on leaders In the National Assembly there In France to get shit done So and they were And once again mainly granted You probably had your street level thugs Of the Song colot but a lot of them were Posing as because they were Tradesmen they were business owners they were Lawyers I mean all, certainly all the people in the National Assembly who pretended to be saint sympathizers are on that side so, Let's say an Antifa type you know, force, but they didn't have their, just their enforcers in the streets. They had their lawyers and doctors and all sorts and farmers and whoever else in leadership. So this idea from the bottom up is kind of a romantic and cool thing, but who are bottom up people now? We're literally talking about professors, rich kids in college campuses. Like none of these people are inspiring. And so what kind of revolution are you going to have if it's led by Trig- Triggly Puff or whatever the, I mean, I know that's an old internet thing, but (laughs) there's all sorts of, uh, okay, well, the race hucksters. I mean, BLM, now it's like where they spent all those millions of dollars on homes, paying out family members for phony-ass jobs within BLM. What came of it? They got, Biden got one thing passed that's sort of like a half measure. I don't even remember what it's fucking called. But are you telling me that everything's different now? That the, the problem was solved? No. All those reflexively millions of dollars that... That, uh, who, uh, who's the former guy from Twitter? I can't think of his name, but the former CEO of Twitter now gone, uh, gave like millions of dollars to, uh, Ember Max Kendi for his anti-racist thing at Boston university or whatnot, which now hasn't produced a single fucking anything. It's just sitting there. It might even be under investigation or at least it should be, but even he was like paying people for research or this or that. And it's like these millions of dollars, like what are you supposed to do with them? And what good is it actually doing? These people became hucksters. Exactly what people we thought they were. Just race hucksters. Um, And then you got, you know, frankly, uh, these revolutionary cultural ideas where people are attacking broadly accepted norms. Norms that aren't exactly horrible or derogatory or oppressive. Norms that people just... It's how biology works. It's how society is formed and functioned. And if you want to just implode all of society and culture, then you're just another oppressor. You're one of the power hungry, power thirsty. You don't get to shape that on your own. If you want to shape it through your own existence and you want to shape it through that, well, then I will get out of your way to do that, but you don't get to tell me anyways, how to raise my kids or how they should be taught. You can kind of tell which direction I'm going with that, but it's like that we have no inspired leadership. Um, there's a, a city council member. Now she's not on the council anymore. Her name is Kishama Sawant. I think I've brought her up here before in a local context. Um, she's what organization is she starting she's starting it's a uh, I'm gonna look it up real quick and find out so her she left the city council she now is part of a group called socialist alternative trying to get i don't know what they're trying to do but that's she that's her gig now but she's clearly on the left I mean her group's called socialist alternative clearly um but she's in, wildly uninspiring like she just screams into the microphone and you might like the content of her screams but she is not someone you want to follow. Uh, honestly, and I may have said this before too, see, if she were to have the power that she probably wants, I feel like she would be the one who would drive away, like rolling up the tinted window in the limousine while they executed a bunch of people against a wall, like a, by firing squad. I could just see her like giving the nod and like driving away and then bam, 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 bam. I honestly feel like that. those people exist. Those people are still out there. And People are so uninspiring and they're so the ends justify the means these days be, with the dehumanizing language, with the language that, uh, disconnects us from each other, not only as human beings, as, but as communal members. Once again, that's what happened in the French revolution. Once you get into that, that insular, that fighting within yourself, you just disconnect. You, you used to be part of my religious cult, but you're not now, uh, you're on the outside now you can die, and I don't care. You've been disconnected. Anyways, maybe I'm going around and around in circles there, but there's just so many wildly uninspiring leaders. Like I don't see anyone with any real charisma, and then the ones that do are totally fake. Barack Obama. I bought into Barack Obama. I voted for him the first time. I wanted. I knew that the country wasn't entirely through with its with its racial reckoning and all these things, which clearly has been the case. We went through all the the 2010s and 2020s here. Uh, still dealing with his reckoning. But Barack Obama was not the answer because he was a phony, because he didn't truly deliver, because he only intensified the race issue and didn't try to go and didn't try to solve it. He, I mean, what real progressive push was there made other than his own election was there made to solve the problem until there was a crisis in hand? And then it's like, oh, I guess I better perform instead of like, this was my calling. This is what I brought here to do. And granted, he that's, that's why he was so captivating to people is he was a uniter. Once again, folks, as centrists, here's the burden we have. It's to unite everybody. That's really what it is. We are supposed to be... There's more than us than there are the the nutty fringes. And people who even claim to be on left or right can be pulled into our center of gravity if we are at least unifying, if we have an inspiring message. And I'm sorry... The most basic and blasé centrist messages are always more enticing than someone who clearly wants power, clearly is like, you know, wants you to shut up, clearly has race at the top of their mind, clearly has, you know, any sort of deep and abiding ideology that guides them. That is like, that's fine if that's who they are. But the fact when they're trying to cling to power, when they're trying to make those decisions from a clear bias, that's why the center wins. If we actually hold together if we actually can put someone forward who has something of worth to say, but we don't. Um, I mean, I'm still, I'm still on the Marianne Williams train as for president. I know it's an absolute miracle, long shot, 10 courts away, nothing but net kind of shot for her. I know it's not going to happen, but the idea that we are once again going to be presented with Trump and Biden which poll after poll after poll has shown no one wants this no one but the absolute dyed in the wool blue democrats and trump nuts and republicans who just go along with them because they feel like trump's their only shot they're the only people who are like have any sympathy for either of these clowns so why in the hell is there not that's i mean i know it's not people hungry for bread and people starving and the power is out and there's no internet reasons physical material reasons to get out in the streets but frankly Leadership is a physical and material reason. We need real leadership and change in all of our countries, all across the planet. I think leadership has just been defunct. I don't. And once again, if you have an awesome leader in your country, well, I I applaud you and I'm jealous. We don't have it here in America. And the idea that we're going to we're literally presented with two shit al- shit alternatives, and and we're not doing anything about it. That's a reason to get out in the streets, frankly. and and, and no one's going to do that though. There's no centrist. Uh, protest, but there should be, there should be, there should just be an alternative. Give us an alternative to any of this crap. Okay. So I went down that tangent. So <laughs> anyways, uh, I know, and I applaud Kashama Suant for at least alternative. She, the words right in her group's thing, but I just, I I've heard her speak. I've heard what she's all about. And she's just as hard left as they come, which is once again, I said, is fine. Be that and offer an alternative. Maybe if she wasn't the one running or she could provide some sort of representative from her group that I could go, you know what? I I might not agree with everything, but they're at least a a push against this other person over here is doing this thing. As a centrist, maybe I could get behind that. It's just hard knowing how ideologically tied she is. I feel she's, once again, not individually, not being skeptical of her group or herself. She feels like she probably has objective truth on her side. She's she's historicized everything. She has all the weights and measures. She knows what the truth is. And I just... Those people scare me, frankly. Um, I, I Is it is it possible to have a leader who's still searching, who's searching for the truth? Uh, yeah, I think it is. But we just... But human beings gravitate towards the one who's like, no, I have the truth. And anyone who doesn't agree with me is on the outs. And I just... I don't know. I, like I said, I feel like she's one of those people driving away while people are gunned down against the side of a wall. You know, there's plenty of those people on the right too, but anyway, I just, uh, Oh, the troubles. Um, so enlightenment now by Steven Pinker. I have this in my notes here and just, uh, uh, still a great book. I read it two years ago and he goes into why, like I said, that's these, some of these enlightenment ideas have become passe, but he more, analyzes in the book, as far as I can remember, like I said, I read it maybe two years ago, analyzes why we need the Enlightenment ideas back, why they shouldn't be passé, why they should be promoted, why they should encompass more of our political leaders and scientific leaders and people on the internet, blah, 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 blah. But I, I feel like what I'm doing in this podcast is something he didn't really do in the book. Like I said, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe I'm not. Maybe he goes into all of this. But why these ideas have become out of fashion, why they're just not talked about in a certain way, how they've been undermined. I know, and frankly, let's not kid ourselves. The cultural left has a lot of sway on the internet and in very influential aspects of our media. And so these old ideas that old white men came up with, which once again, is if you refer back to what I said earlier in this podcast, is sort of funny because clearly these are human ideas that, yes, we're probably more than likely, if you really searched as a historian, which I have not. But because I'm not a historian and I don't really have time, we're in the colonial age. So if you want to came the colonial ideas from old white men in the Western world, you're going to deny the fact that these ideas were also discussed by, I'm sure, plenty of people in China, India, Africa, uh, Native American ideas. Like these are human ideas. Philosophy is not owned by a colonial Europe. So to, to point to like Hume and all these other Enlightenment thinkers out of that vein, and say, well, we don't like it because they thought of it. Is just you're going to ignore all the other people who have been promoting these ideas? Are there? Is or is it somehow bad that some uh, Native American chief probably considered these things, or a shaman in uh, shaman Indian down in Brazil? You know, in prehistory was consult talking to people about this stuff, even though in within those contexts maybe the ideas were slightly different or had different social uh, aspects or whatever. That to me is fascinating and no one's talking about that. They just want to go, oh, those are old white men who came up with these ideas. We need new ones. Like you're going to come up with one. Your only idea is to tear shit down. Anyways, but the cultural left clearly has sway and they are clearly to blame for these ideas going out of fashion because most people are too dumb and they're like, oh, it's wrong. It's bad now. I'm on your side. Okay. And they just, And then they'll tweet something or act a certain way. And they could, they don't know people are just going along with the group. They think they should belong to the side that they think is on the up and up and on the good. And I don't want to get in the way because they might also tank my career. Um, (laughs) So let's, I'm sorry, left. I'm pointing it straight at you. These are good ideas. They're human ideas, not just Western colonial white men ideas, says the white man in his closet. Um, (laughs) Um, Like I said, I I feel like most people presented with these ideas, enlightenment thought, would be like, "Uh, yeah, I like some of that. Give me some more of that over here. But anyways, I just wish Pinker, maybe he did, like I said, we're still, the book is still worthy of a read. But maybe he didn't go into why they've been oppressed, suppressed so much. Well, that's, I'm giving you the reason why. Um, So I kind of, that's why... I'm sort of outlining both. Why I feel like the, the revolution has been suppressed. Why I clearly, why it should still be marching on. Um, I want the revolutions to happen peacefully through protests, through electing leaders who can actually get shit done and make changes to help people out. Um, what are some of those solutions? Well, I could probably go into that, but I don't want to get into that right now in this episode, but it's like, it's uh, making our, society completely more egalitarian for sure. Um, a little live and let live policy culturally, uh, getting rid of, or seriously downplaying all this strife and conflict and war, endless war and the military industrial complex, um, making our economy, uh, promoting unions. Like I said, I really want our economy to be, to be more bottom up. Uh, granted I'm, I applaud anyone who can get themselves into a a CEO type position or a management type position, but at the same time you need to be, that's that's a hard position. It's a leadership position. What did I say about leadership? It's difficult, not only is it difficult because you make hard decisions and you to get paid a little more, you need to find ways to better everyone within your sphere of influence. As far as materially, you need to make things better for them. Uh, And by firing people, that doesn't count. You need to take the hit. Your are anyway, blah, 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 blah. But that should come from the bottom up. That should come through union unionization and, and, um, and, you know, solidarity for lack of a better word. Um, I had some stuff down here about internet censorship and conspiracy theories. I think I already touched on that. I can't even remember what happened 40 minutes ago, but um, <laughs> there is the common trope that a lie can run around the world before the truth gets its shoes on. There's all sorts of prop. I mean, I don't think that could be any more relevant than what's going on right now with Israel and Palestine. There's, I think there's a lot of mistruth, a lot of lies going on, a lot of war propaganda period, but that was going on in the Ukraine conflict as well. That's just a common thing. To propagandize to people, everyone wants support and everyone wants everyone on their side. Um, they want your sympathies. And, and like I said in the last podcast, my sympathies are with anyone who's suffering right now. Uh, I don't know what I could do to change anything other than put pressure on my leaders. I wish, frankly, that there was more anti war protests going on right now because shit's getting real. Um, and I guess that was tied into the the free speech thing and being a skeptic, the conspiracy theory aspect. Um, there's going to be a lot of conspiracy theories swirling around this inner this Israel Palestine situation, which I might as well get to now. So, I've seen nothing but horror. Um, one of the people who's been promoting this horror is, or you know, a race activist, Sean King. I follow him on Instagram. If you want to go to his page, you can just look him up. Um, He's been promoting some horrific videos. Uh, And he's pro-Palestinian. I mean, I know you're you're supposed to be able to critique the government of Israel without being anti-Zionist or anti-Jew, you know, an anti-Semite. I'm not saying Sean King is an anti-Semite, but he certainly is more pro-Palestinian. Now that doesn't mean pro-Hamas, this is how quickly this gets messed up. Um Israel's caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh they were attacked. You can say, you know, that doesn't says nothing about the situation on the Gaza Strip and Israel's responsibility for it, but they were attacked. The attackers came out of the Gaza Strip, broke through the wall, did what they did, and went back. Okay, or they were killed trying to hold a piece of territory, you know, the Israel Defense Force, you know, they, they've been fighting these people. I'm assuming at this point they push pushed them back into the Gaza Strip, where they've been dropping bombs. Now, which has been widely reported, the Gaza Strip is a very small strip of land that has like 2 million people in it, almost half of which are people like under the age of 19, I think it was, or maybe under the age of 12. A lot of kids there for some reason. I'm not sure why. doesn't matter. It's a <clears throat> the youth population is very high, close to fifty percent. It has been told to me mainly through conservative commentators, that Hamas, the let's face it, they're not good people, they're a terrorist organization, they're hiding in this amongst these two million people, <clears throat> some of which probably support Hamas, some of which don't. obviously, that's how it always works. But if they're hiding in one of the most densely populated areas on on the planet, not just like in the Middle East, on the planet, what is Israel supposed to do? Now, a commentator that I I respect and appreciate, Kyle Kalinske, on the Crystal Kyle and Friends podcast with Good Politic Guy, he was the, I'll provide a link, but he was the guest that day, and they're talking specifically about this conflict. Kyle Kalinska, they just sort of blasé, said special forces. Okay, what the hell does that look like? I'm just trying to think rationalist, like rationally. Israel does what? They endure this attack. Maybe they deploy their IDF and push everyone back behind the wall. They get get all these terror, the Hamas uh, insurgents, back into the Gaza Strip. And then they stop. They have how many, hot? let's say just 200 hostages, whatever. I don't know what the number is. That could be completely wrong, but it's over 100. It's probably under 200, but I know it's somewhere in between. Blah. What are they supposed to do? They immediately start negotiating for these hostages with no attack, no nothing. They don't invade. Because once again, if you're invading with tanks and drones and more precision strikes, whatever that means, you're going to be killing innocent civilians, period. Even if you go in with tanks and guns, there's going to be, there's going to be, Uh, stray bullets. There's going to be buildings that collapse through tank, you know, but my point is Hamas isn't out. Just, they don't have like a separate island where they all hang out. Otherwise they'd be dead. They would have been, Israel would have taken care of them. It's because they're hiding amongst these 2 million people that these 2 million people are dying. Now, once again, I'm asking what Israel's response is supposed to be because if like Kyle said, oh, special forces, how the hell are you supposed to... Where are they supposed to do? Do they have that many spies within the Gaza Strip where they're going to find out all these places and what, just bring a briefcase or like strap a bomb, even though there's literally eyes everywhere in this densely populated area? How are they supposed to get spies or special forces to any specific place to fight Hamas directly? And then at the same time, surrounded by 2 million people, once again, probably not a small... A probably larger percent of the, the Palestinians in Gaza than I would like to admit are Hamas sympathizers. Let's just say out of the blue, the 50% who aren't kids, let's just say fifteen percent of them are Hamas sympathizers. I don't think that's a wild, a wild percentage. How many how many hundreds of thousands of people is that? How many tens of thousands of people is that? Two million, half, so you get a million. I could probably figure this out on my phone right now. But at least 10,000. Let's say it's 10,000 Hamas sympathizers who aren't part of Hamas directly. Are you telling me that those Israeli special forces aren't going to get absolutely murdered? There is no way they're going to get to any Hamas infrastructure or do anything of worth to fight Hamas directly without having those troops be absolutely slaughtered and having their bodies drugged through the streets. That's what would happen. I do not see... You're talking about operations that probably have like a 95 to 99% fail rate. Are you? Seriously, I don't understand. Kyle just saying special forces. Yeah, ideally ideally, that's how it would work. Or ideally, Israel would make other calls to help the Palestinian people. I don't know. I don't know. But if you just open up that wall, these people who went into Israel to slaughter hundreds of people, thousands or a thousand people or whatever, and take so many different people hostage, they're going to be out amongst their population now. And they're not. Do you think the blood feud's over after that? So, my question is once again, what is Israel supposed to do? Now, granted, they should not be doing what they're doing. Other avenues should have been taken to empty the Gaza Strip. I mean, really, I almost feel like. I don't know. And the history there makes it even uglier because these people have been moved and, and harassed and pushed out of their homes already to the point where they don't. You're going to just incite more anger and violence against Israel by pushing these people around. There's been no international Saudi Arabia. Uh, uh, Egypt has a border right on the Gaza Strip. They're not letting anybody in. The, then they're supposedly people who are fleeing to Egypt and then they got bombed. I mean, it's just. It is an absolute horror show. And both sides are to blame. And I have sympathy for everybody who is in pain. I'm just, as a as a nation state, I don't know what Israel's supposed to do to solve this problem, other than abs- relying on the UN. Like, calling the UN. Hey, guys, this is your responsibility now. You solve this problem. We can't, because we are in a blood feud. They need mediators. Instead, you got fucking Joe Biden and our goddamn military... Full of the hilt, a hundred, supposedly it was a hundred billion dollar package to not only support Ukraine, but also to support Israel. I'm sorry that it's, I, <clears throat> why are we not in the streets? We can't keep spending money like this as much as, as I want Israel to exist. I want peace over there. I need peace. Supporting them militarily is not going to bring about peace. It's just, you're fueling a war and I am tired of American dollars going in that direction. And that is a centrist and peaceful place to stand, in my opinion. You can go, and this is the problem. Why are we so quick to pick sides? Why, do I have, should, why should I have more sympathy for one side than the other? They're all human beings. I don't want the blood feud to continue, and I don't know how to solve it. But I know it's not through killing kids. I know it's not through bombing hospitals, even if there's terrorist infrastructure underneath it. That is not a solution. Every move Israel makes need to be, needs to be towards a solution to bringing about peace not furthering the violence, and they just have not done that so far. Now, granted, Hamas isn't going to help them. I mean, Hamas is 100% just going to continue this. I mean, they're they're. I don't think they care one fucking lick for any Palestinian, Palestinian kid who's been killed. Because they knew what was coming, and they did it anyways. Once again, if Hamas had gone into Israel, let's look at it from their perspective. Now, granted, I'm going to present the same argument here. 99% fail rate for Hamas terrorists somehow making it all the way to the Knesset which I think is what they call their government and like assassinating Netanyahu. That would have been like okay, that's essentially what Kyle Kalinske is asking Israel to do. Like go just go figure out where they are and send your seat your special forces in, you know, into those densely populated place where people are going to hate you and go <laughs> and go kill all the bad guys. Essentially they want to turn around and go straight to Hamas and go yeah, don't, go past all those civilians who were on alert. And hate the Palestinian, hate Arab, Palestinian, blah, 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 blah. Go find your way all the way to the seat of power in their government and kill all the leaders, all, kill the conservative leadership in Israel. Two impossible tasks. But that's really what it should be. It's like, get them together to have a duel. But once again, there's an asymmetry in power. So Israel, Israel would just wipe out Hamas in a duel. There would be no challenge. None. Does it, I mean, is anyone seeing the problem here? No clean solution. But the only thing I can, I can be angry about is the idea that <clears throat> we're going to spend more of our treasure and incite more bloodletting in, in their personal feud, and that's it. That's, that's what's going to happen. We're going to fuel Ukraine and everyone else to fight on, and then go, people go, oh, well, China's just going to take Taiwan. Why wouldn't China take Taiwan at this point? Why? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? What are we going to do? We're we going to fight on three fronts? We're going to fuel the Ukraine war, fight Iran and possibly Saudi Arabia. I mean, a massive Middle Eastern army. You tell me they wouldn't have recruits, a million recruits from all over if we went to direct war or we we were fomenting people, genocide and, and ethnic cleansing and all that shit has been thrown around way too much. Now, granted, once again, this blood feud, I think that's what the heart, the evil on both sides, both sides, Israel has evil in it too. There's plenty of people who have called the wiping out Arabs, the dehumanizing disconnecting language that has been thrown about so casually, <clears throat> um, is horrifying. And once again, it's solutions to peace are not on the table from either side. It's it's this war is going to happen. Some war is going to happen. Something. Iran's not backing down. We got carriers over there already. It's just the, I don't know. It, I'm it's getting to a loss for words. I'm just it's so depressing. And uh, and we're just going to keep fueling it. I, I don't know. We need to put people in the streets. And that's really it. And it's not a, people in the streets, either pro-Israel or pro-Palestinian, because we've already seen that, and it's ugly and it's stupid. We've had people chanting, kill the Jews in Australia. You can look that up on the internet. We've had pro-Palestinian rallies where people are celebrating, celebrating the slaughter of innocent people. Like, that's some sort of victory. Like, what the... F- the, the idea that you are so you are so blind and so in the tank for your side, so ideologically bent, you have hatred so deeply rooted in your heart that just because they're israel just Israelites just because they're Jews in Israel that you're going to celebrate their death and murder and more than likely rape and kidnap and any other torture that, that happens to them because Palestinians ah they somehow they somehow have the right to do that. You're lost, man. You are lost. I don't know uh and you wonder why I sign out when I send these podcasts? You wonder why I sign out with love each other and it's just find the human connection, man. Just smile at a stranger, um, let people in on the fucking freeway, Washington Staters, if anyone listens in this fucking state. just just these small acts of kindness of being a better driver. These are things that... Why are we so disconnected from ourselves? I don't know. Talk to your loved ones. If you gotta go, go with a smile. And just try to uh, go look at a starry night. Just try to appreciate each other. And for... God forbid... God forbid you're involved in any of this horror around the world. But... I mean, really, I... I... (laughs) just start loving each other as human beings it's this is getting so tiresome there's no need for most of it i know there's there's i've been literally chanting for revolution on this podcast or at least promoting it and thinking that it's something we need but it's the revolution has got to start inside you the enlightenment ideas need to come back and you need to find out who you are as an individual and you if you got some hate and bias I'm not saying it's not understandable. I'm not saying you're even in the wrong entirely, but start exploring those things and at least weakening their hold on you. I think they degrade who you are as an individual because really as an individual, as part of a tribe, our tribe is now humanity. There's no excuse for it anymore. None. Most of these the divisions around us have been fake, put up, imaginary, promoted by those in power so they could fight each other for more power. That's the history of World War I. That's the history of colonialism and colonial empire. And empires before that too, by the way. Also, dynasties in China. So there's whatever, I, whatever divisions they want to throw up in, in front of the common man. I, more than anything, we should know that those divisions are goddamn falsities. It's fake. We're earthlings on this fucking rock hurtling through space. It's time to move on and start embracing each other. Is that hippie enough for you? Is that peacenik enough for you? Because ultimately that's what I want. I want a a world of peace where we can fucking all together. Could you imagine the power we would have to search for objective truth, to better our planet, to expand, maybe fucking colonize the moon? If we wanted to really be a colonial power, that would be more interesting than previous colonialism, clearly. But at least we're not displacing anyone on the moon. Maybe we could find, we could cultivate helium three or whatever it is up there for energy. My point is, we could do more fascinating things than just replay the same shit over and over and over again. But that chain, all that has to start with people, the internet. It's like this message is out there for people to get, and they don't figure it out for yourself. Find some love in your heart for everyone around you on this planet. Just, just. Start loving each other, folks. Anyways, I'm getting sappy here. Uh, Thanks for listening. Um, Peace in the Middle East. I I mean, that was a thing back in the 90s, and we got to bring it back. (laughs) Peace in the Middle East. Signing off here at the Centrist Kickers Podcast. Have a good one.